If you have your Bibles with you, or Bibles on your device, you can turn with me to 1 Corinthians, and we're going to be starting at the end of chapter 3, verse 21. The end of chapter 3, verse 21. And before I get into today, into our series, which we started a couple weeks ago, called The Antidote of a Gospel-Centered Life, I want to check in with you. Because there's something that happened last week. Those of you who are guests here this morning, sorry, but a little bit of housekeeping I need to do. Uh, One of the things that we did last week was we had a challenge to actually do a Holy Spirit Awareness Week, didn't we? Uh, And I wanted to see how it's been going. Last week, Ron McLean was here and he was teaching about the Holy Spirit. Uh, He was teaching about how the Holy Spirit is our divine helper. He was talking about ways that we can actually grieve the Holy Spirit. And he challenged us, like he did actually a couple of months ago, to take a week and specifically engage and invite the Holy Spirit into our lives to help us, to transform us, and to foster that relationship and awareness of being with the Lord throughout our day. And he talked about it when we wake up. Greet the Holy Spirit. Greet Jesus. Say, good morning. I surrender. Here I am. Fill me. Use me in whatever way you want. Starting your day on that kind of a footing. Throughout the day, Holy Spirit, I need your help. I, I, I want, you could give praise. You could give thanksgiving. You could just be sensitive to those little nudgings. Does anybody have, you seen those little hotel bells, you know, that go bing? Well, sometimes the Holy Spirit, while we're going throughout our day, it's like ding. And you go, oh, what was that? And it's actually the Lord actually trying to get your attention about something. It's that kind of awareness. Um, Or do some listening prayer, asking the Lord questions throughout your day, inviting Him into the things that you're doing. And even before you go to sleep, rehearse the day, giving thanks for the things that have happened, whether they've been hard or whether they've been easy. And you can even invite Him into your dreams, into your sleeping, and bring you peace amidst that as well. And for myself, since Ron challenged us that, I guess about a month or so ago, Again, I felt the Lord challenge me. I felt, when I said, Lord, what do you want me to do with this? I felt the Lord say, before you touch your cell phone in the morning, welcome me in. How hard is that for some of us? That's hard. That was hard for me. And as my testimony is, is that in the morning, when I've done that, my days have actually been measurably, measurably noticeably more peaceful. Not that they've been without challenges. There's lots of challenges and things to go through. But the day has seemed to flow naturally. The Lord's, it's felt like the Lord's been ordering my steps ahead of me. And I've been a lot more relaxed throughout the day. And when I've forgotten, it's like the atmosphere changes in my day and this kind of gray cloud moves in. And when I've recognized that shift... I said, oh, Lord, I'm sorry, I, I forgot. You, t- you did tell me what to do in the mornings, and I disobeyed. I didn't actually do it. Would you forgive me? I want to welcome you into my day and invite you in. And then it's like those rain clouds, those gray clouds just part, and the atmosphere shifts. Suddenly, I recognize the spirit within me is actually filling me and strengthening me. And instead of trying to just push ahead and to do my own thing, He's actually the one who's actually starting to propel me into what I'm supposed to do that day. 
Maybe you've experienced something similar. Anybody actually try things out this week? I don't need to know what you did, but did you try it out? Good. Some of you are like, Holy Spirit Awareness Week, what was that? I don't remember. But that's all right. You know, it's one of those things I want to encourage you. Don't just let a week happen. Start integrating these things and make them a lifestyle. Make them a habit. And these habits actually link into our series in 1 Corinthians. And they're important when, we, when we're reminding ourselves about living a Christ-centered, gospel-centered life as an antidote to the pressures, the challenges, the values, and even the culture in the world that's around us. You know, when we're filled by the Holy Spirit, it actually leaves less room for other stuff. It kind of makes sense, right? If you fill a cup full of water, it's kind of hard to fill it with other stuff, Right? The more you fill it with the Holy Spirit, <laughs> the less room there is for other stuff. Um, if, we, if we live our lives um, without that, I don't know about you, but we get quickly selfish, prideful, arrogant, and the list, whatever, you know, tack whatever you want onto the end of that. But if our lives are filled with more of the Holy Spirit, who dwells within every follower of Christ, we are just far more likely to live our lives for others. Stewarding the things that he's given to us. Exercising the gifts that he's given to us. Serving one another and living out this life that he's given to us. And that's why this morning I entitled the message, Who Are You Imitating? Meaning, what or, or whose example are you following as you walk with Jesus? Like anything, we tend to become like the thing that we follow, right? The things that we think about tend to kind of consume us and we go in those particular veins. And so to set the stage this morning in 1 Corinthians, a few weeks ago I talked about how important unity in the body of Christ is and gave you some practical steps in taking on and being a part of maintaining and fostering that unity, because the Apostle Paul, in the first part of Corinthians, was challenging the church, stand together. Instead of fracturing into groups and special interests, people saying that I'm following a particular person like Paul or Apollos or Cephas. And in chapter 2, which we didn't cover then, Paul t- talks about our need to rely on wisdom. The wisdom that actually comes from God, from above. Not our own human wisdom. And he reminds us, That you and I, as followers of Christ, have this ability to connect, to know, to experience the truth that comes directly from God's throne room. We can actually begin to understand, by the Holy Spirit's help, how to actually apply that to our lives. That's actually wisdom. Taking knowledge, putting understanding with it, knowing how to apply it in a particular circumstance, that's wisdom. And as followers of Jesus... Because we have this gift of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, we can actually discover, experience, find, and even know the mind of Christ. We can actually know what God's thinking about through His Word and by His Spirit. That's an amazing gift. Oh, oh, yeah, I was thinking. Just a little temperature check. There's a little excitement in the room. All right. It's this unlimited resource right at our fingertips, residing within us, a fountain flowing from within us out. (laughs) Woohoo! 
Then just a few verses at the end of chapter 3 where I've got your device or you've got your finger in your Bible. Here's what we read that makes sense of what Paul is going to start into in the meat of where we're headed in chapter 4. He says in verse 21 of chapter 3, So let no one boast in men, meaning don't boast in the wisdom of of yourselves like I talked about before. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Paulus or Cephas or the world or the life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ's and Christ is God's. He's saying, don't fight over who's better or who has more truth or who has more wisdom than the other. That's poison. Your heavenly Father loves his son Jesus. Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. And because of his sacrificial love, everything that belongs to Jesus is yours as adopted sons and daughters in his kingdom. You each have the same gift. Folks, Paul's saying, walk in unity together. Walk in love. Walk in gratitude and humility and thankfulness for what's been accomplished through Christ for you. That's actually the antidote and the way of living that Norm shared with us right at the beginning of our series. And Paul's actually about to expand on it, that all of we have all things. Paul's about to tell us how we walk and live out a life that has all the resources of heaven behind it. So read with me, starting in chapter 4. And just to give you a bit of context, I want to let you know that there's one question I'm asking today. Who are you imitating? That's it. Who are you imitating? And we're going to take chapter 4, and we're going to just work our way through it. So let's start, verse 1. Paul's saying, This is how one should regard us, meaning the apostles. This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it's required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or in any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself, for I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring, the light, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will de- disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. What is Paul saying here? It's a mouthful. Here's what I think Paul is trying to communicate. See, there were whispers in the Corinthian church about Paul's speaking style. That guy doesn't, he doesn't, sermons, he doesn't really do them that well. You, you see what he's wearing? Guy's wearing jeans up there at the front, right? Whatever it is, like this, there's these kinds of things going on in the Corinthian church. And Paul's saying, some of you are judging me because I'm not an eloquent speaker, like some of those other apostles. You're questioning whether I can actually be spiritually effective without being a highly skilled speaker. I want to caution you. It's not wise to get all judgy. Don't get all judgy. 
and try and proclaim who can be used by God and who can't be used by God. It's none of your business. I, Paul, I feel a call of the Lord on my life, and I'm going to exercise that, and I want you to do the same. Don't judge each other about those kinds of things. The measuring stick you should be using, he said, is, Have we, as apostles, come to you as servants of the Lord, who recognize they're just stewards of their master's mysteries and gifts and truth? As a steward of the gospel, Paul's saying, I want to be found faithful. I want to be found faithful to carry out the responsibility God has given to me to partner with Christ in building his kingdom. That's the measuring stick. And I think that's worth imitating, isn't it? It's a question for you and I too. We aren't apostles, but are we actually faithful to steward what God's given to us? The, all the resources of heaven that are at our fingertips. How do we steward those things? How do we care for them and use them for God's glory? And Paul goes on in verses 6 and 7. Read with me. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If you then received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Sometimes when Paul writes, and the way that it gets translated, it's like you have to kind of unravel it a little bit because there's all this language in there that makes it more confusing. To actually, What is he actually trying to say? Well, I think this is what he's saying. Learn from our example. We don't live as if we've somehow arrived, and neither should you. If, if you've been given everything in Christ, then why is it we hear as if you're talking, as like talking like somebody who's been able to make it all on their own? Stop being so arrogant. Jesus did everything for you. You got no ground to stand on. He did it all. That's what Paul is trying to say. And then the gloves come off. <laughs> Some people get puzzled by what comes next because they mistakenly think Paul is trying to teach a theological concept that builds on what he's been saying about us having everything. But he's not. So let's keep reading and you'll see what's happening. By the way I read it even. Already you have all what you want. Already you've become rich. Without us you've become kings. And would that you did reign, so that we might share in your rule. For I think that God has exhibited us as apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we've become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We're fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We're weak, but you, you are strong. You're held in honor, but we, we're held in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst, we're poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless, when persecuted, we endure, when slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. If you caught me, Paul is speaking ironically here. He's calling out the Corinthians. You're high, you're lifted up. You're kings who rule over men. We apostles, we're nothing. 
Oh, that we could be as amazing as you are, right? (laughs) That we could share in your riches. Paul isn't encouraging the Corinthians, he's slamming them. Paul uses very deliberate language in verse 9. He uses words like, we've been exhibited, sentenced to death, become a spectacle. See, when the Roman armies defeated their enemies, they would return back to their home cities or back to Rome through victory arches. I think you can still see some in Rome. Uh, For sure in France, l'Arc de Triomphe. That's what Napoleon used. But they would... They would come back, all the officers, all the generals, everybody parading in front with their victory. Then would come the soldiers. Then would come their support crews. Then would come all the riches and wealth that they kind of pillaged and brought back with them. And finally, there were the prisoners, last in line, the POWs. That's who was there. And the prisoners, who were the luckiest, would get sold as slaves into Roman homes. But the rest, they would actually get marched to the Colosseum or the arenas to go fight for gladiators for sport. They would be torn to bits by wild animals in the arenas, just for entertainment. And there were plenty of Christ followers during Paul's time that succumbed to that kind of fate as they were persecuted. Paul is calling the Corinthians out. He's saying, You're rich, you're kings, you're honored. You say you follow Christ, but for some reason, you're sitting in the stands with Caesar, watching from on high, while us as apostles are down here in the arena. Ouch. We need to sit with that a little while with for ourselves. It's quite a scathing rebuke of the lifestyle that Paul was challenging in them. The Apostle Paul, he was trying to help the Corinthians understand the nature of the poison that they had ingested. They had been lulled into living a spectator's life, a life of comfort, selfish pride, judgment, instead of seeing Christ, who came in the form of a servant, who was the Apostle's example, and then people like Paul and Apollos and Peter, We're trying to be an example of Christ to the the church in order to help them understand how to live and how to follow Jesus and then point other people to doing the exact same thing. Three of my daughters are at various stages uh, of playing junior high and high school volleyball. And it's amazing to me, I don't think they're here right now, that's good. I was thinking just because it reveals something about myself, but the, the, our varsity girls in, at the King's School, they took second place in a tournament just this past weekend. They did an amazing job. But I, I, it's amazing to me, as I'm sitting in the bleachers on the sideline with other parents, how quickly you can start to think things like, oh, they missed that serve again. You know, Come on, why can't they pull it together? Couldn't they see that massive hole in their defense? Right? There they go again, letting the pressure get to them. They're starting to fall apart. Right? But I quickly catch myself. Because I know that's no, that's not I want to be supportive. I want to get in, in the get in the game. But it, that kind of thinking, it's totally unfair, isn't it? Like I could do any better. <laughs> it's like, come on, Dad, get out here. Show us, right? If I want to have a say, I've actually got to be on the volleyball court. 
I've actually got to have some sort of skin in the game, playing. Um, At the very least, be supporting the team up and down the sidelines, cheering them on as they're battling it out, right? So that's a question that Jesus, well, that we should be asking Jesus today, myself included. Jesus, examine my heart. Would you let me know whether I'm sitting comfortably in the stands or whether you see me as a person who's actually in the game on the arena floor? Examine me, Lord. Is there anything you want me to change? You know, I guess it's a question of, am I a spectator or am I in the game? Where are you willing to be for the sake of Christ? The apostles were ready to get squished into the ground and into the dirt for the call of Christ on their lives. Kings rule and have dominion over their kingdom. But servants actually carry out the king's commands and they seek to steward the king's resources well. And as followers of Christ... You and I, we are servants of the King, King Jesus. Even if that means we might suffer, even if that means we might be hated by other people, that's what Paul's poking at. And you know what? The people getting baptized here today, for Tyler and for Zach, I think Zach's in fusion right now, we're not only declaring that they publicly want to proclaim that they are following Jesus and they want to do that for the rest of their lives. They are also declaring, my life is not my own. Out of love, I have been purchased by God. By God himself, made a part of his family. Jesus is my king. My life belongs to him. In Christ's kingdom, I've been called to love and to serve him. With all my heart, with all my mind, with all my soul, with all my strength. And to reach out with his love to others. That's my call as a follower of Christ. It's this realization of who we are in Christ that acts as an antidote. An antidote to that selfish arrogance and pride that always wants to creep in and take us in another direction. So I guess we can ask ourselves, does my life revolve around Jesus or does it revolve around me? I have to ask myself that question on a regular basis. I hope you do too. In humility, when we understand and we rehearse in our hearts the magnitude of what Christ has done for us, there's no room to boast about anything, is there? He's done it all. In fact, the love that He's shown us through His death and resurrection, it's enough. It is totally and completely enough. So much so that any follower of Christ should be able to say to King Jesus, Lord, you gave your life for me. Whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, and whenever you want me to do it, I'm here and I'm yours. That's the posture. I'm ready to serve. If you are a parent... You know that sometimes your job requires you to say difficult things to your kids. I think Paul feels the same way towards the people in the churches that he planted, especially here in in this book. 
He loves them like a father loves his children. Not in a patronizing way, but a fatherly way. He, he wants to see his kids become fruitful and succeed in the lives that they live. So after this stern fatherly rebuke, in verse 14, we'll start there and read there. I don't write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That's why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and my faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in the church. He's saying, I love you. I'm not trying to shame you with the things that I'm addressing. I'm trying to make a point. You see how I live my life as a servant to all? You see how I steward the, one who's, the things that the one who sent me has commissioned me with to spread the gospel? You see how I keep Christ and seek to keep him at the center of everything I do, as broken and as incomplete as I am as a human being? Follow my example. Be imitators of me. That's why I sent you Timothy. While I'm away, because I trust him like a son to keep reinforcing these things with you. You get it? And here's why. If we're not careful, we can drink the poison again. Be wary of anyone who seeks to disciple you into their own image. Be wary of that. It leads us back down a a path, not only towards hurt, but towards our own pride and arrogance, instead of growing in our total dependence on Christ. You know, as crazy as it sounds, our Heavenly Father seems to have designed this Christian life in a way that much of our progress actually comes through imitating the fellow believers that are around us who may be a little further along than we are. We learn from other people's examples. It's the way it's been set up, as imperfect as we all are. That's why it's so crazy to me. It's like, Lord, even, what? But I, I'm a pastor in a church. I know my faults. I know my weaknesses. Please don't follow me. Follow Jesus. Right? And I'll do whatever it takes to keep pushing you into Jesus. You see, where this kind of relationship succeeds when we imitate someone else is where that teacher recognizes their own incredible need for Jesus. That apart from Jesus, we can't do anything. And in turn, they're consistently pointing and pushing people that they teach and mentor back into Jesus. A mentor in my own life who's been a spiritual father to me for many years has routinely said in various ways, through his words and through his actions. Aaron, I'm not going to give you the answers. Don't look to me. But we will find them as we both pursue Jesus together. That's what Paul was calling the Corinthians back to. That's why he said, be imitators of me. When Paul says, be imitators of me, he's not saying, become Paul. 
He's saying, do what I do. I follow Christ. I want you to do the same. Don't drink the Kool-Aid around you that causes you to say that somehow you've arrived. Or that a particular stream within the body of Christ is the only one with a corner on the real truth. Keep Christ as the focus, the center. Keep dependent on Him. Keep inviting the Holy Spirit in to empower you to be a servant, a steward, to be found faithful before your King. So let's get practical about this in the last few minutes that I have. Who are you imitating? Who are your role models? Perhaps you grew up in an environment that didn't have many good examples to follow. We all need help from, and guidance from those who've gone before us. I've been blessed to have a few mentors in my life, some actual spiritual fathers in my life. And their Christ-like example and their encouragement have actually inspired me and helped me to grow in my walk with Jesus and to honor the calling that he's given to me. I know Norm's experienced the same thing. I know there's others of you here who've experienced those kinds of things as well. Be careful not, if, if it's something that you want, be careful not to forget the simple truth that what you're really looking for is a person who knows you and cares for you, who believes in you, who will encourage you. A good mentor is the kind of person who you naturally want to be with, who has more experience than you have, uh, who would be happy to see you win in life, <laughs> to help you grow in even those sensitive areas, those weaknesses that other people in your life put up with on a day-to-day basis and goes, what about that? A good mentor is someone who wants to see you passionately follow Jesus and seek him above all else. And if you've found a person like that, you've found a mentor. But what about how I, how you look to other people? Parents, are you walking in a way, grandparents as well, are you walking in a way that inspires your kids to be followers of Jesus? Mm. Oh, man, that's a hard one for me. Yes, I'm a pastor. Yes, all those things. But I go, am I? I, I don't know if I am all the time. Lord, would you help me with that? You know, do they see you sitting in the bleachers or are you down on the field in the game? You know, you don't have to be perfect. They want to see you trying. They want to see you getting back up after you fail. They want to see what happens when things don't go right and you anchor yourself back into Jesus. You don't have to be perfect. But are you being a light? Are you showing them the way? If you're in a position of leadership, you're in a position of influence, maybe that's being a manager, a supervisor, a teacher, an educational assistant, maybe you work in a daycare, maybe you lead a construction crew or a particular team at your work. Would those that are around you say that you're an imitator of Jesus? even if they don't know you're a Christian? What would they say? What would they say is different about you? And for our young people, 
I mean, our young people are in fusion right now, but all the way kind of up to finishing university, starting your life, maybe with the first job out of school. Who is shaping your values? Who? What? What are you committed to? You know, there might not be an official church program to be able to, you know, connect into like Mentors Are Us or something like that. No, but did you know that you could actually pursue people who will help you follow Jesus instead of just going with the flow? You can pursue it. Who is helping you follow Jesus? Maybe it's your cell group. Sometimes you just need a little bit of courage to ask for the help. Pray, ask the Lord to bring someone into your life who you can trust and loves Jesus with all their heart and they've actually got the track record to show for it. And by the way, you need to ask. You need to ask. This is a little secret. Because some people tell me, oh, I've been praying, I've been praying, I've been praying for a mentor. I've been praying for somebody to help me. Well, I found that humility is actually one of the marks of a good mentor. They usually don't walk up to you and say, God told me to mentor you, so when can we start? Right? Ask. They want to be... They want you to invite them in to your life. Maybe you haven't been at cell group or a small group for a little while. It's important to connect with people in our church family in closer ways. I mean, there's opportunities in the, in the back for you for, if you want to, get, want to get connected in that way today. Please take advantage of that. But it helps everybody grow in Christ. It helps us to serve, to connect together. It helps us iron sharpening iron, growing together. I guess at the end of the day, we need each other. And we need everyone in the game in order to accomplish the task that's set before us. Don't get taken out of the game because you get comfortable. You know, we're all at different stages in our journey with the Lord. But we can always cheer each other on to be imitators of Jesus and supporting one another in this goal of stewarding and serving and glorifying Him through the way that we live our lives and share the love of Christ with people. You see, that that kind of humble, Christ-centered life is an antidote to living a life that's not in the stands, but actually gets into the game and accomplishes the mission of expanding God's kingdom for his glory. So I'll leave you with this. Who are you imitating?